say each and every one of you are very important to us, and we're glad you're here tonight. Uh, I'm Gordon McGee. I've been with this church about 12 years, and I get to do the MC bit tonight and introduce our speaker and that kind of a thing. So you only have to put up with me for just a little while. Uh, so anyway, how come we're here? We're here because church is important. It's important to each one of us. It's in, important to the world just for survival and salvation. Uh, church provides community in such a way that it amplifies our connection and our experience with God far more than we get if we're just an individual. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church kind of a person, which we all know folks like that. There's an amplification of that when we come in and get connected with a church. Church is also important because it provides community, which amplifies a family's resources in raising their children. I raised seven children with my wife, Petra, and we really were helped out by having a church family where there was a consistent Sunday school to go to every Sunday and all the other things, youth groups and whatnot, that all kind of helps you uh, to bring your kids into a group of people that are like-minded experience, and so there's a lot of benefit to that. Church is important because it provides an extended family and some personal connections. It, it, it gave my heart a home these last 30 years. I'm sure many of you would have the same experience. Church gives your heart a home. I mean, sometimes it's a lonely and cold world on the outside there. Uh, church also provides us an opportunity to thank God. How do we thank God? We render service back to him by serving others, by doing the things that are near and dear to his heart. So it gives us that opportunity. So how come we're here? Uh, well, the other reason is that church is really important as a base for Christians to be able to welcome others into the family of God and to help others enter into the blessing of God's community and become connected, uh, become developed as followers of Christ, and turn around and begin to serve others as well. And that's our mission statement, isn't it? Connect people, help them develop, help them to come into lifestyles of service. Uh, I was on vacation the last week, and uh, Saturday night, we're looking out of the 22nd floor of the Vancouver Hotel, and there's a couple churches down there, and Petra says to me, she goes, going to church Sunday, aren't we? Well, I, I guess, you know, see those old churches down there. So Sunday morning, we're out there walking, and it's just before 11, she goes, we're going to church, right? I'm looking up going, eh, you know, big strange box in the corner, I'm probably not dressed right, you know, uh, yeah. and I start finding myself going through all these you know, and I've been going to church for 30 years. I wonder what it's like for somebody, how intimidating it is for somebody who's never been to church, which would categorize most of our fellow Petalumans and people from around this area. They've never been. They don't know what to look at. I mean, I looked up, and the guy on the step was casual dressed, kind of, kind of like me, and I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to be all right. So we went in, First Baptist Church of Vancouver, and uh, it was great. It was Mother's Day. They had a great service. But the other thing was, you could tell that that group of people loved the Lord. They loved one another. They enjoyed worshiping. You could tell from their literature that they were people who didn't just care about themselves, but they cared about the community around them. They had all kinds of things going on to reach out and help people. Somebody came by, made sure we had a program. Somebody else came by, made sure we knew we were welcomed. They actually had a, a, a you know, coffee afterwards for people who were new. We didn't stay for that because we weren't, you know, just in the area visiting, but. But it was nice. It was great. They had made their church into a, a place, kind of like New Life, where we have made it into a place where people who are new wouldn't feel intimidated, where they could be connected. So church is really important in that respect, too. So last thing, why are we here? Well, we're here tonight to share in God's unfolding and ongoing vision and plan for us as a church body of believers in 21st century Petaluma. That's why we're here. Uh, we've been very blessed to have a senior pastor who's gifted as a visionary, as well as to have a dedicated staff, all of whom seem to understand, at least from my perspective, what it takes to do church for Jesus in this day, in this age, and in this place. And that's, uh, we're very blessed with that. A um, couple of things before we start and before I turn over the, the evening to our speaker. Uh, you should have received one of the green booklets uh, anybody didn't receive a green booklet? There's more of them back there. If you want to raise your hand, one of uh, our OG Ron will bring you one. Look at that. Anybody not receive a green booklet? Because you'll need one. We're not doing overheads tonight. Ron's going to go through the booklet. The other thing you'll find is a Great Adventure response card. And if all you do is put your name on that, please do that for us. We're really trying to keep a track of who did come to these events. And we'll give you a chance to turn that in later tonight. Um, 
There's a place for prayer requests there. Uh, if you have prayer requests, perhaps it pertain to what you learn about the great advi- adventure tonight uh, or any other prayer request. We have a great adventure prayer team that's going to be praying for those. Uh, if it's confidential, check the confidential box. Only the pastoral staff will see it. There's also a place for questions. However, after Ron's done speaking tonight, we're going to have some refreshments out in the lobby, and we're also going to have people available to do questions and answers uh, that you can talk to personally about anything you want to know about the great adventure. Uh, I'd like to introduce those folks at this time, which would be, please stand up, Lisa Paula Georges, Max and Kim Dreyer, and um, uh, Jason and Julie Reese. And Julie's right there, right? So these are the folks, along with Ron, who you can approach after this meeting in the lobby when we're having refreshments and ask them any question you want because they're the great adventure leaders. Uh, But if you do have a question you'd like to just get somebody to contact you on, here's a response card. You can also write it down. And any comments you might have, we'd love to have those too. Uh, So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, tonight I'd like to ask you to give a big Petaluma round of applause and welcome to our senior pastor, Ron Hunt. Oh, I got to I got to replace Bob with Gordon, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I'm so glad you guys came out tonight and um we're going to have a great time together. So, would you join me in a word of prayer before we get started? Father, we are so grateful to be in this place at this time. And we're thankful to be on assignment for you and from you. And would, uh, would you just guide us now to fully understand and embrace what you're calling us to, the process that you're calling us to, and um, Lord, help us just to get on board with you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I did a little reflecting after the message this morning, and I realized that uh, if you go back a few years ago, uh, this particular group... Most of you were here prior to 2008, and that means that um, most of you were part of Ready. If you were part, if you were here at the church when we went through uh, the Ready spiritual journey and the 40 days of prayer and so forth, would you stand, please? That's awesome. You guys deserve a hand for for many many reasons. Thank you. You. You may be seated. You know, you know what I realized today? You know, we were talking about Abraham. And um, more than any other church I ever have been connected with or even know of, when we started out on the ready spiritual journey, you talk about a church that was willing to take a trip to an undisclosed location. That was us. In fact, I remember sitting with the church consultant whose name is Art, and Art's a great guy and done this with hundreds of churches. And he said, okay, now where's the building or the piece of property that we're actually working on? We said, Art, we don't have one. He said, what do you have? And I hauled out a piece of paper that had a little floor plan on it, right? And it was an imaginary place with an imaginary floor plan. And I said, we're going to go look for something that we can do that with. And there was a big, long pause. (laughs) You know, and yet, you know, we weren't committed to a property or a particular building. You know what we were committed to? We were committed to taking the journey with God wherever He took us. And we actually didn't know where it was going to be. Obviously, didn't know where it was going to be. But here's the thing about faith. The more that God reveals to you up front the less you have to accept by faith. Does that make sense to everybody? And the less you have to accept by faith, the less adventure there is in the journey. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, uh, by way of introduction, I just wanted to say at the beginning, for those of you who have been here for a number of years, and it's with your blood, your sweat, your tears the sacrifices that you have made, the countless hours of volunteer ministry that you have put in, the prayers that you have prayed, the people that you have hugged in and around the church, 
the, the burdens that you have lifted, all the things that you have done. Um, thank you. That seems like too small a word. But I, but I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Because the church is whatever you choose to become. And you have chosen to become loving, kind, committed, dedicated people who live with integrity and honesty and represent Christ well wherever you go. Thank you. I agree. So let's talk a little bit about phase two. As I prayed about what God would have me say to you tonight, take your booklets and we'll turn right to page one. First thing that God said is, I want, I want my people to know that we live in exciting times. Boy, do we ever. In fact, never have we been less sure about what we're going to read about on the headlines the next day, right? It could be anything. And it's likely to be anything because we live in a world that is changing so rapidly that sometimes it's hard to keep up with it. What an exciting time in which to live. We live in an exciting place. The thing that most excites me about where we live isn't just the beautiful weather that we have most of the time, which we do. A little warm today, but usually it's pretty nice. You know what excites me about this place? We live in the most unchurched place in the United States. It's an honor to have been brought here by God to represent Him in the place that needs Him more than any other place in our, in our country. God wouldn't bring just anybody here. So how great that we ended up here however He got us here. God said, New Life is an exciting church. And it is. I'm going to give you several reasons why it's exciting as we move through the night. But it is an exciting church because even from day one, it was pretty exciting. Because there was a tiny little handful of people. We sent three postcards out to everybody that lived in and around the Petaluma area. And the pastor nearly had a heart attack before it began. Because on the two or three days before a grand opening, I was pretty sure that no one was going to come. And uh, when we opened the doors that Sunday morning and 245 people streamed through those doors, I was the most surprised person in the entire auditorium. That's for sure. We've just, it's an exciting church because from day one, we have experienced God's favor. I'm a golfer, at least I pretend to be, okay? In the center of the face of every golf club, okay, golfers, what is the very center of the face of a golf club called? Anybody know? Ah, there you go. It's where I hit one about once every round. Right? But can I tell you the sweet spot of life is where God's favor rests. And it's so great to be in a church that's just in the sweet spot of God's will. This is an exciting time at New Life. It's a very exciting time. Uh, it's great to be able to meet in a new facility. It's great not to have to set up and tear down. It's great to have 250 plus brand new people who are coming to New Life in just the last 10 months. It's great to have new challenges. It's exciting to be a part of a church that's really starting to make an impact in its community. It, it, these are exciting times at New Life. So how did we get here? Well, let me give you just a, a brief look back and, and uh, you hear little bits and pieces of the story of my life. But I think in order to really understand the background of the church, I, I want to give you a, a little more detailed look. When I was maybe 12 years old, I was a junior high kid, maybe sixth grade, somewhere in there. I was sitting in the church where I was born and raised. It was a small church, 50, 60 people maybe. And I was sitting in that church and I was reading in the book of Acts in the Bible. I have no idea whether the sermon was about that that morning or whether I just happened to be reading there because I was bored. I don't know which. But anyhow, I was reading. And I happened to be reading through the exact same passage that we just preached through here called Community, Taking the Journey Together. And, and as I read 
in, in the Bible, I was struck with a very, very important, and as it turned out to be, life-changing realization. Because as I read that description of the church in the Bible, and then I lifted my eyes and I looked at the church where I was, the realization I came to is that the church in the Bible was way different from the church where I was. Now, God gave me grace enough not to stand up and ask the question, right? Because that would have created some tumult that morning in church, especially since my father was the pastor, right? But on the inside, I wanted to know. And in fact, as, as I sat there in church that Sunday morning, I prayed a prayer to God. I said, God, someday I want to be part of a church that's like this one I read about in the Bible. Looking back on it, what I knew intuitively as a 12 or 13 year old, probably couldn't quantify, but what I knew intuitively was that there were three things about that church in the Bible that, that I didn't see in the church where I was raised. And the first was this, the, the people in the Bible were excited to go to church. No one was there because the pastor would be on their doorstep if they didn't show up. No one was there because they were afraid that their soul would burn in eternal hell if they didn't show up at church that Sunday morning. The people in the Bible were excited to be there. The second difference that I noticed was that there was dynamic life change that was happening every time the church got together. Maybe that's why they were excited to be there. What do you think? That's probably a tie-in. And you know, there have been many times when I, if I just kind of had one wish for everybody that came to new life that I know would just kind of cause your chin to fall on your chest and to amaze you, I would love for you just to sit in my shirt pocket one Sunday morning and then just listen as people come to church and as people leave. And you could pick any Sunday you wanted because at new life, Every Sunday, there's massive life change that takes place. Now, we're not surprised by that. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Because when people come into the presence of an eternal God, what would you expect to happen? Wouldn't you expect there to be life change? Yeah, you would. Well, the church I grew up in, nothing changed. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I could still walk into that church this tomorrow. I mean, next Sunday morning, I could walk into that church and, and, and I could go through that entire service without thinking. I know I could. I could sing every song that they're going to sing. I already know the words. I sang them hundreds of times as a kid. You know, the same people would be there just 40 years older. And if they had died, their kids would be taking their place. And that's how it would be. The third thing that was different was I noticed that the church in the Bible had a tremendous impact on its community. It wasn't a tiny little building tucked away in the corner somewhere that a handful of people went to that if it closed down, no one would notice and no one would really care. And there wouldn't be any service that would go lacking in the community because that church closed because the church had no impact on its community anyway. But in the Bible... I realized that the, when the church came to a town, it began to change the town. So when I prayed, God, someday I want you, I want to be part of a church that's like that one in the Bible. I had no idea at all at that point in time what God was going to do with that. But basically, evidently, what God decided to do was to say, okay, boy, you want to be part of a church like that? I got some work to do on you because I'm going to build that church through you. I had no clue. So God decided to take me on three great spiritual journeys prior to coming to New Life. And the first one is, He had to take me on the journey of salvation. Because if He was going to do anything in my life, I had to get into a personal relationship with Him. And so I remember the day very clearly. I was 12 years of age. I was, I was in the backyard of our home. We lived in the country. I remember sitting down underneath a lilac bush on a hot July afternoon. And I remember being overwhelmed with the fact 
that God would love me to the point that Jesus would leave heaven and come to earth and give his life so that I could be forgiven of my sin. And I, I started to cry. My mother was working in the yard. She looked over there and saw me crying. And she came over and she said, Ron, are you okay? And I said, yeah. She said, why are you crying? I said, I, I was just thinking about Jesus and what he's done for me. And, and it was about two weeks later, I made my decision and said, you know, I'm going to give the rest of my life to following Jesus. And uh, we happened to actually be, at that point in time, we happened to actually be in Portland, Maine. Southeast Portland, Maine. And I made the decision on a Saturday night. And they took me out that same night. There was no baptistry in the church. They took me out that Saturday night to an old abandoned um, quarry. That where they had mined gravel, it had all filled in with water. And it was snow runoff from the mountains. I'll never forget my baptism. <laughs> yeah. So that was journey number one. Journey number two was, you know, I was raised in churches that, that had a tremendous loyalty to Christ and a tremendous loyalty to the Bible, but also a very significant misunderstanding of what the Bible was actually saying. And, and so they were churches that were very judgmental and believed that only a handful of people were going to heaven, and it was them. And I can remember one time one of the pastors uh, in one of the churches that I was associated with, some guy came up to him and challenged him and said, you guys think you're the only ones going to heaven, don't you? And he said, I'm not really sure about all of us. There you go. And so as an 18-year-old kid, when I had my first opportunity to begin preaching every Sunday, and I took that opportunity, uh, I was a freshman in in Bible college, and one of the seniors who was graduating came up to me the week of graduation, and he said to me, do you want to preach? I said, yeah, I'm going to be a preacher. And he said, good, here's somebody who will have you. That was my interview for my first preaching job. Are you impressed? I looked at it, and there was a name and a telephone number, and I said, well, yeah, well, when do they want me? And he said, Sunday. I said, okay. So I picked up the phone, I called him, and that following Sunday, I got in the car and I, and I drove 125 miles from where I lived. One way, I pulled into the church parking lot and I was there about an, a half hour early and there was no one there but me. And I sat in the car and I'll never forget what God said to me. God said, Ron, from this day forth, you are in charge of what these people eat spiritually. They're spiritual food. Someday... I'm going to ask you what you fed them. And I made God a promise in my car that day. I said, God, I will read your word seriously. And I will always read it for what you were trying to say. And if you will help me, I will preach whatever you show me in your word. Little did I know that in less than a month, God would begin to show me all sorts of things that were counter to what I had been taught in the judgmental churches that I had been raised in. And I had a really big decision to make. Was I going to dare to continue to take that journey with God and risk being ostracized by my father and my grandfather and my five uncles who were all pastors in those churches and by everybody that I knew or that knew me in life. That was a big decision for an 18-year-old kid. I prayed about it for 30, 30 straight days. And at the end of 30 days, actually I prayed about it not only with myself, but I was dating Monica at the time. She and I prayed about it together. And at the end of 30 days, we said, we're going with God and we don't know what that means. You know, it was one of those God calling us to an undisclosed destination, right? So we just got on board with God. So 12 years later, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've told people it was like God was going through our lives, pulling out all the weeds 
The weeds were the untruths that we had been taught by twisted Scripture. And God was pulling out weeds and putting in their place beautiful flowers of truth. But it seemed like every time I picked up the Bible and read it, God would show me another thing and I'd go, oh, not that too. <laughs> oh, there goes that. You know, okay, God, what does it mean? And God would say, here's what it means. I go, oh, wow, that's beautiful. So, and, and embrace that. Well, about 12 years of that, and I'm 30 years of age, and I'm thinking, finally, I'm qualified to be a decent pastor in a local church. I've been a pastor this whole time, making progress, learning, preaching what I'm learning, and so forth. But at 30 years of age, I think, finally, I'm ready to be a decent and healthy pastor. And God goes, well, yeah, but i got one more journey i got to take you on. Because the problem is, you don't have a clue about how to relate to people unless they were born and raised in the church. You're only comfortable around people who are already Christians. What good is that? They're already in the church. I don't really need them. I already got them. I, you know, I really need to teach you how to relate to people who aren't yet Christians. And that was the third great journey that God took me on. And he gave me the wonderful privilege for, for 10 straight years of traveling around the country and studying in some of, the, some of the most effective outreach-oriented churches in our country. I was just blessed by every one of those opportunities. And at every point that I had the opportunity to learn, I just embraced what God was wanting to do in my life and, and, and trying to get a handle on it and figure it out. And, and looking back on it, I realized that all of those God was just preparing me for what He was going to call me to do in this town where I didn't know anybody. And really, the church wasn't about me. God was just looking for anybody. I happened to be available. That was really it. And since I was willing to take the journey with Him, He was willing to take me on that journey. Well, before I came to Petaluma... There's another church in town, Petaluma Christian Church, that God gave, was taking on a spiritual journey. And he gave them a vision, you know, our mission is connecting people to God and others, developing them as followers of Christ and moving them into lifestyles of service. Well, God gave Petaluma Christian Church a mission that was called Five and Five by Five. And you, those of you who are really astute know that's a lot of fives, right? All right, so here we go. One of those fives was God was calling them to start five new churches. And New Life ended up to be number two on their list. You know, I'm grateful God gave them that mission because they did something that was absolutely necessary for New Life to get started. They took $50,000 out of their own church account and they gave it away to start this church. Now, for a small church, that's a lot of money. Very significant amount of money. Now, that's not very much money to start a church from scratch, I can tell you that, especially when my salary had to come out of that for two years, right? So, yeah, I mean, you can do some math and you can figure out. It was pretty bare bones for a while. But, you know, I learned something in that. And that is when God gives any of us a mission or a vision, something He wants us to do, it's never just about us. It always affects other people. It always blesses other people. So, we came. We got started. We had our first church service, and in the beginning there was 245 people who came. But I found out later there were lots of people from other churches in town who came to our grand opening purely and simply to encourage us in case nobody else came. That was great of them, right? Um, so two or three weeks later, when all those people went back to the churches where they really belonged, we had about 150 people, but it was really an amazing time because, you know, three weeks earlier, we didn't know each other, and now we had 150 people in church, and we still didn't know each other. We were just strangers. So it took us about a year to go from 150 strangers to 150 people who were actually a community of believers that kind of knew how to share life and ministry together. Um, I can't tell you all of the stuff that took place in the ensuing years, but if you move forward a few years and you move forward to right now, take a look at this. June the 1st, 1997, there were three of us that 
that moved to Petaluma from uh, Honolulu. Monica, our son Anthony, and me. And we came with this assignment from God to start a church in this town where we knew no one. Well, the ensuing 11 years, those three have become 600 plus. And during that time, about 500 people have made the decision to follow Christ in this church. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I think that's an amazing thing. Secondly, that $50,000 that Petaluma Christian put up to start New Life, if you take the offerings that have been given at this church, including the contributions that came in from Ready, that $50,000 has become about $5 million. What do you think about that for a minute? If you could invest with some investment counselor 50 grand and 11 years later it would be worth 5 million would you go borrow the money to do that you probably would wouldn't you absolutely now, I didn't do that who did that god did that it was a tremendous investment thirdly that portable church has now become the steward of a wonderful campus this campus you know i'm so glad we're done with the 15 different locations yeah that was, that was uh, those were some amazing times of trying to make that all happen and set up that PA system in all sorts of different uh, configurations and yeah it was interesting to say the least. Here's what I want you to see. You remember the prayer of, the, of, of that young junior high kid sitting in church? God, someday I want to be part of a church like this one in the Bible. What were the three things about it? The first thing was people were excited to go to church. Guess what? Nobody comes to New Life because they have to. Everybody comes to New Life because they want to. Why? Well, that probably has something to do with the second thing. Many are experiencing dynamic life change. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Just huge life change is taking place. And thirdly, New Life is helping to change the spiritual climate of our community. I don't have time to tell you all the stories, but I can, I can tell you this. When I first came to Petaluma and I sat down with uh, leaders of our community um, that were leading our community in the public sector, and I'm talking about city council uh, members and, and the mayor and so forth, and I was making my first attempt to get to know them and and they were asking me why I came to Petaluma, and I told them I came to plant a church, and they looked at me and said, why are we short on those? And I said, well, no, there's actually churches everywhere, but I have a real desire to start a church that reaches people that don't normally go to church. And they go, hmm, what that look like? I said, well, um, if everything goes as planned, eventually we're going to buy some property and we're going to build what looks more like a community center than a church. And we're, we're going to, um, you know, it's going to have uh, hopefully a gymnasium in it and it's going to have uh, performing arts, uh, kind of a theater in it and a nice stage and curtains and lights and all that kind of stuff. And they said, whoa, 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 time out. That's going to cost millions I said, yeah, I know that. And they said, um, you would do that for your people? I said, no, I wouldn't do that for our people. I would do that for the community. And then they really stopped and almost took a step back. And this, this was their perception of church. And I'll never forget the next thing that they said. We've never heard of a church that did anything except for its own people. I'm just so grateful that, and not just at New Life, but I'm so grateful that New Life is a major player in turning that around in our city. Because we could never be a church that pleases God without blessing to the impact level, blessing our community. So the best is yet to come. What do I mean by that? Well, the 375 people that were part of New Life and regularly attending New Life just before we moved into this facility has now become somewhere between 550 and 
600 people. Actually, if you were to go out on the street and ask people, you know, do you have a home church? You'd probably find about 800 of them who would say New Life is their home church. I run into them everywhere. Some of them I recognize, many of them I don't. Uh, I have learned this. I am always on my good behavior now. (laughs) Because you just have no clue where those people are. Secondly, our volunteer workforce has nearly doubled in every ministry in the church in the last 10 months. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I have no idea how many total volunteers we have in this church, but it would be several hundred. And I can't tell you for sure how many volunteer uh, work hours are put in around the church every week, but I can tell you it's hundreds and maybe in excess of a thousand work hours are put into this church by volunteers every week. Contributions. In the 10 months since moving in here, we had projected about a 20% increase in income. The increase has actually been about 35%. And by the way, that hasn't been in the best of economic times. Have you noticed? Yeah. That's the blessing of God. Now, it's taken all 35% to make the world go round. I can tell you that for sure. Um, and God had that all measured and God had that, had that, that all handled. The number of Sunday guests... Listen to this. We are coming up on uh, about our 600th Sunday morning. Think about that. It's hard to imagine. The church has been around for 600 Sunday mornings. But we've never had a Sunday morning yet in the history of this church that we haven't had multiple first-time guests at church. Do you realize how amazing that is? There's probably not 1% of the churches in the United States that that's true of. We're just blessed. We have maybe 8 to 10 average first-time guests. And and I'm not just talking about individuals. I'm talking about either singles or families at New Life every Sunday morning. Our reputation in the community is wonderful. It's excellent. I just spent... Several hours calling over 100 community leaders and inviting them to the mayor's prayer breakfast a couple of weeks ago. Um, And I know for most people that would be like their least favorite assignment. I actually love doing that. Uh, I get a chance to connect with all kinds of community leaders. But you know the amazing thing is um, the reputation that the church has is amazing in our community. And it's because of the way you conduct yourselves. Let me give you one little for instance. I, I, was, I was talking with um, <clears throat> the director of, of one of the most well-known <clears throat> nonprofit organizations in our town. And I wasn't able to catch him, so I left a message, a, a voicemail message for him. And I had actually never met him. And um, so I left two or three messages and... and um, And then he called me back and left a message and we played telephone tag for a while and when we finally connected, he said, yes, I'll come to the mayor's prayer breakfast, but is there any way I could take you to lunch? I said, sure. That's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. It's literally what I said to him and he was was laughing. And um, I said, why? It sounds like you have something you want to discuss. He said, I want to talk with you about your church. He goes, everywhere I go, people are telling me about your church. And he said, so when you called and left a message for me, he said, I went to your website. And I pulled up your website. And he said, you have to be, your church has to be like no other church. And then he said, so I thought, okay, I'm going to call you and tell you I'm coming. And I called and, and I got your voicemail. He said, who does your outgoing greeting?" He goes, it's like a real person was there. I expected to get, you have reached the offices of New Life Christian Fellowship and your call is very important to us. So if you'll please leave your name and number, we'll make sure. You got any of those messages? Yeah, you've heard that message so many times, right? He said, I, he said what I heard in that person's voice is so consistent with what I saw on your website and so consistent with what I hear about the church. 
What a great thing. What a great thing. And it's just God working through us. Last of all, the community use of our campus is beginning to mushroom. We are getting multiple requests for it. In fact, if you had come here last night, there were about 500 chairs in here. And there were people from probably three or four surrounding counties. And on the stage, there were about 30 hula dancers who were doing basically a hula concert. Uh, It was truly outstanding. And I had the wonderful privilege this morning of standing in the lobby and praying with a couple who came for the first time to the hula recital last night and decided to come back for church this morning. Yeah, I don't have time to tell you their whole story, but again, it's one of those dynamic life change kind of things. So that's the, that's the great stuff, but we do have some challenges. And I want you to hear what the challenges are. Number one, our new people need connecting. We have 250 plus new people who have started to come to New Life in the last 10 months. You realize if we just took the 250 plus people and made them into a church, they'd probably be the fourth largest evangelical church in our community. And that's just the new people. Okay? But we have a challenge to get them folded in and to become part of who we are. Our budget, even though it's up 35%, it's not adequate yet to support the church and all that it needs to do. Our campus, this campus, uh, believe it or not, It's about $26,000 a month of just interest. Okay? That's enough to get your interest, isn't it? Yeah. Um, A church is basically like a person's own budget. They'll tell you that if you're spending more than 35% of your budget on your house, you're spending too too high percent of your budget on your house. Basically, that's true of a church. Right now, our facility is costing us just a little over 50% of our income. Okay? So there's a challenge there. Our staff is currently overworked. We are understaffed, like everything else in our city, right? We are understaffed. We have four full-time staff members, and we have two part-time staff members, and we are trying to figure out how to handle the church that has probably 800 different people who see themselves as connected to it and to try to, to, to try to work with them in ways that help them get connected and, and grow and develop spiritually. Right now, the average staff member at New Life is working at least 10 hours of overtime a week. That's unpaid overtime. And it's not unusual for all of our staff members to work as many as 20 hours of unpaid overtime in a week. Um, Common sense tells us we can't keep doing that, okay? Because we'll burn out the people who are the most dedicated to the church. Our campus isn't yet completed. You've probably noticed that. We still have a lot of things that aren't done yet. Uh, So, hence, phase two. What is God's answer? Well, it's phase two. I spoke to you a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago. I said, come to the vision meeting and I'll tell you what phase two is. Well, here it is. And the great adventure is the beginning of phase two. It's what God wants to use in order to supply the resources that are going to be needed for the church to continue its journey uh, of faith that God has called us on. So how's it going to help us get people connected? Well, we actually have six great adventure sermons, even though your notes say five. So if you want to cross out five and put six, then you can say, I officially went to church. I actually changed something on the notes, right? There you go. That's helping people get connected with God. We have 200 plus, actually we have 250, more than 250 people working on 13 different teams in the great adventure. You know what they're doing? They're getting connected to each other. That's just a fun thing that's happening. We have 500 plus people that we've invited into 35 days of prayer in in a wonderful opportunity to get connected with God. And the feedback that I'm getting all over the congregation is for many of them, this is their first opportunity to really get connected with God on a daily basis. What a great thing. And of course, those of you who have been around New Life for a while, which is most of you, you recognize, boy, we go on these spiritual journeys with God. They don't always have the financial component in fact, we're going to do another spiritual journey this fall called 21 Days of Worship. 
and we're going to write another devotional, which we're going to learn about worship and, and be involved in daily worship, and that's a, another whole great thing. But, uh, boy, you know, 35 days of prayer, getting connected with God, and 500-plus people invited to eight great adventure meetings, of which this is one. All that to help us get connected to each other and to God. What about our budget? Well, the very first thing that God said, in fact, prior uh, in preparation for the great adventure, um, during a time of prayer, I identified 10 different things or major projects in the church that, that uh, uh, really needed our attention. I sent them out to uh, the highest level of leadership in the church, which is our spiritual stewards and financial stewards and pastoral staff. And I said, take these 10 things and pray about them and send them back to me with the numbers of 1 through 10 uh, based upon where you think the priority should be. And uh, so it came back. And the following things are the exact priority in which those things came. The first was um, to set aside a $300,000 mortgage reserve. Doing that will put the church on very, very solid ground financially. So the first the, of the resources that come in through the great adventure, the first and highest priority is going to be to establish that $300,000 mortgage reserve to help us make our mortgage payments while we grow into it as a church. And... Uh, I think we're a year or two away from fully being able to, to get that down to where our mortgage is only 35% of the income of the church and not about 52 or 53% like it is right now. Um, priority number one. Priority number two, we need to expand our staff so that we don't burn out or worse yet, destroy the health of the people who work to lead the church. And uh, we've got a, a group of people working on those job descriptions right now. Then the next priorities all have to do with completing our campus. And the first is to complete the secondary auditorium, which is back in that end of the building. We use it a minimum of three times every week and oftentimes uh, significantly more than that, even though there's no sheetrock on the wall and there's no lighting system in there and uh, there's a few other problems. We still use it because we have to. Um, so there you go. Uh, so that was the next thing. We need to put a ceiling in that room. We need to put uh, lighting in that room, a sound system in that room. We need to sheetrock the walls. We need to insulate it. And we need to make it actually look like it's a fully developed room that we can use uh, for a number of things. Uh, the next priority was the second story. Um, other than the office area, we don't really have permission to use the rest of the second story for general assembly purposes because, well, it's not up to code yet. Uh, when, when it's built out the way it's supposed to be built out, when you walk in the lobby, uh, coming uh, uh, alongside the wall on this side, there's going to be a stairway that goes straight up into the second story. And the wall up there that says connect, develop, and serve, that's going to become a half wall that's a walkway that looks over into the lobby and you can walk up there and you can go to the right or the left and you can go to large classrooms that we're going to have upstairs, you know, very large classrooms that we will use for many things. But there's also another part of the second story besides building out those classrooms and putting in the stairway and that is we have to put in an elevator. That's a code issue but even if it wasn't a code issue, I can tell you we would do it. And the reason we would do it, our reasons are many. Um, but there's a reason why it's a code issue. And so, obviously, we, we would comply with that. Well, guess what? And just putting in the elevator is about a $100,000 ticket. So, that's a, that's a big deal. Next is the parking lot. Works pretty good till it rains, right? And then, what it, then when it rains, we got people in there talking to themselves in here, trying to clean the carpets, because it just makes a grand mess out of the carpets. So we have a parking lot to complete. We have general equipment and repair, the roof repair. I don't know if you looked at the, at the ceiling tile during the winter, but if you looked up in the lobby during the winter, you saw a four or five ceiling tile that consistently got wet and stained and would begin to sag and then we would replace them. Well, what you don't know is up above those ceiling tile, there's probably 15 five-gallon buckets that are actually catching drips. And Michael Bearden, bless his heart, would drive the scissor lift every week and climb up there and empty all those buckets 
so we didn't have a massive problem. Well, obviously, we need to do something with that roof. And uh, there's several other pieces of equipment that we need to get in order to properly take care of the facility we have. We have signage. If you had come here last night, Monica and I were were unable to come until the the event was almost half over. And uh, so we pulled into the parking lot from Randa Street, and we went, oh, my goodness, there's nobody here. And we had gone to the same hula recital a couple of years ago when it was down in Marin County. And there was like three or 400 people who had come to it. We pulled up out here. The parking lot was half empty. And so we're thinking, oh my goodness, there's probably 100 people in there. We walked up to the door and the lady that greeted us at the door said, I hope you have a ticket because it's standing room only in there. And we walked in here and there was well over 500 people in here. So where were all the cars? They were parked all in the parking lots of all these buildings and down the streets as far as you could see. They were everywhere but in the parking lot. You know why? Because they looked up 1310 Clegg Street, you know, and they drove down Clegg. And when they got here, there's no signage that tells them where the parking lot is. So they pulled up in front of the building and went, oh my goodness, there are six parking places here and six on the other side. I guess we'll park on the street. Because there's nothing that leads them to the back. So we could certainly use that. We have some outdoor storage, and that's for equipment to maintain the building and property. Video recording systems. This room was already wired for high-definition video cameras. And local cable access has hounded me for years. Please record your services. If you'll record them, we will broadcast them free. Uh, We just don't have the ability to do that yet. And then last of all, to convert this room into a gymnasium, which is what it was really designed to be, a dual-purpose room. So having said all of that, okay, you can figure out that those things, that's the next phase. Those are all things God wants us to do. So what's it going to take for that to happen? Well, on the following page, you'll see the three goals um, for the great adventure. The first goal is a goal called a challenge goal. It's $750,000. Does that sound like a big number? Yeah, it does. But you know something? When this church had only 375 people in it and we got alone with God and connected with Him, He supplied, I just checked the other day, He supplied just over $1.3 million through those 375 people. So for 600 people, 750,000 should be a significantly less challenging number. Here's what I wrote down in my notes. If, if, if we respond to God and so forth, and He supplies $750,000 through us to help us get to phase two, then the bottom line, that will mean many of us will have engaged with God. Secondly, the victory goal is a million. Here's what I wrote in my notes. If we reach a million, that will mean most of us will have connected with God. And then the supernatural goal is $1.5 million. And if God supplies 1.5 million through us, you know what it will mean? It will mean that God decided to do something extraordinary through us, just like He did the first time. So that's what I want you to pray about. Now, what's the process for this? Well, here it is. And this is the most important thing I could tell you all night. Number one, it's a spiritual journey, not a capital campaign. If it's just about money, listen, everybody loses. It's just about money. If you're going to go home and get your budget out and say, okay, dear, what can we give over and above what we're currently giving? And and you sharpen your pencil and you carve out a few extra bucks and you give it to the church. There's no God in that process. You could go to Edward Jones and get that kind of advice. Okay? This is a deal about connecting with God. Saying, God, what do you want to supply through me? Number two, it's not something we do for God It's something we ask God to do through us. I preached a lot about that this morning, so I'm not going to go back into that. But it's not something we do for God. It's, God, what do you want to supply through us? Number three, we ask God for a number and a process. Here's kind of how that might look. Okay? 
I'll give you a little example out of my own life, and I'm still praying. So I don't know that it's going to come out like this. And Monica and I are praying together. But there's a little thing that I do on the side with another parachurch organization, and it pays me a stipend of $400 a month. Well, maybe that's the number in the process that God gives me. And maybe what God says is, Ron, take that $400 a month stipend you get from doing this thing with this parachurch organization and take that money and just turn it over to me. And that'll be what I supply through you. Well, if you take $400 a month and you, and it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but if you put that 12 months a year, what does that make? $4,800. And the great adventure is a three-year project so if you do that over three years, what do you get? Well, you get $14,400. That's almost $15,000 that God might want to supply just through me doing that one simple thing. Now, if it turns out that way, there's two things that will happen. Number one, you know, I get the blessing of giving to God an additional $15,000 and to know the joy of being able to do that. And number two, when I do that thing with the parachurch organization, I do it from a whole different motivational standpoint because it's what God's using in my life at that point to supply something that has eternal worth in His kingdom. So you have to take that, put that to work in your own life. Then we have to commit ourselves to that number and that process because... You know, if God gives me a number and a process and I get halfway through it and I decide, you know, God, I really want a new car instead of doing that. Okay? I could probably lease a fairly nice car for 400 bucks a month. But if I do that and God has already asked me to assign that a different direction and it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out God's not going to be real happy with that. Nor should He be. And then last of all, to walk in obedience to that commitment. That's the process. Now, uh, Eris and Lisa are going to come and give a short testimony uh, because they were here in, in the ready spiritual journey and it was an exciting time for them. And God did some great and wonderful things in their life through that. But that's not really what they're going to share with you tonight. They're going to share with you a journey that God's had them on in the last year or so. So would you please welcome Eris and Lisa Polo Georges. Hello. Hi there. Okay, so last time I was up here, I was talking about life groups and got all passionate and went too long, and the, the band was heckling me. So we'll try to keep this brief, but we did have a couple things we wanted to share. Um, you know, the story that Ron shared this morning about Abraham, if you were in church this morning, is very timely to what we wanted to share, um, because one of the things that Abraham was asked to do is to go to a place that was an undisclosed destination. And he had a choice to make whether he was going to follow God with something that didn't make sense or whether he was going to stay in whatever city it was, or I forget. So we had a choice like that about a year ago. And that choice came in the form of what am I going to do with my job? Sprint was going through layoffs again for the third year in a row. And, uh, you know, they asked for volunteers. We're going to lay people off, but, you know, if you want to volunteer, then that'd be nice because then somebody might keep their job. So, one day, I'm pledging my undying support to my boss, saying, hey, I'm with you, man. I'll stick through it. And then the next day, I come home and tell Lisa, hey, on my drive home, guess what? God said, pray for a week and fast for a week because I might want you to leave. Are you sure, God? You know, that's, that was my first thought. She already knew I was going to leave before that whole week was over. She told me later, but I didn't know that. So three years before that, I had been praying for, you know, God, what, what do you want me to do when I grow up? I'd been at Sprint for years, and I felt like there was something more. Eventually, I loved my job, but, you know, I felt like there was something else that eventually I would do when I grew up. And, and, and God said at that time, nope, stay where you are, just wait. But when the time's right, I'll pull you out of there and take you somewhere totally different. But that's all he said, so that wasn't really very much, because totally different could mean, okay, I'm going to be a lawyer, or I'm going to be a doctor, or who knows. So, anyways... So going back to the other story, because we we're short on time, um, you probably guessed that we made the decision for me to leave Sprint. So 
There you go. That's you know, how it felt. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay. Um, we left. I didn't know what kind of job I would have. Um, I had a severance package, which was nice. I mean, a lot of people don't get that benefit, so I was definitely thankful for that. But at the end of the day, the economy wasn't great, and we still didn't have a plan. And that's what people at work said. My boss's boss sat me down and said, hey, man, I love you. You've worked for me for years. What's the deal here? I said, do you really want to know? He said, yes. I said, well, I've been praying for a week. You know, I go to church. I've been praying for a week, and I feel like God told me to leave and move on to something else. And he looked at me and said, okay. Well, he said, why don't you go back and pray for a couple more days and see if God changes his mind, because I'd really like for you to stay. And, and then he offered me another however many thousand dollars a year to stay, you know, just a little bit. It wasn't much. To which, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, thank you for offering that, but this is not about money. So anyways, um, so the journey that God called me to, and I say me, but it's actually us. It, it wasn't, I wasn't doing this alone, and, and Lisa was a, a very big part of it and supporting me. So the journey he called me on after I left Sprint, and okay, now what, is he said, Eris, take a day out of each week and go out and be alone with me. Okay, that's a whole day, right? Not like an hour, like a whole day, which I'd never done before. So I said, okay, I'll go out to Bodega Bay. It's nice and peaceful, you know, the ocean. Um, and then he said, you know, I want you to pray for the, or, or fast for that whole day, which I'd never really done that before. And he said, I want you to pray. I want you to, you know, sing songs, read the Bible, and just listen. So all really easy things, right? No. Um, so I said, okay. And like many of us probably would do, we roll up our sleeves and say, all right, God, let's do it. What do you got? And I said that for week after week after week. And he kept saying, just be with me. Just listen and be quiet. That's another one that I know you're good at that, but I I was not good at that because I want some results. If I'm going to pray and fast, I want some answers, man. So anyways, um, about two months later, when I finally got it through my thick skull that he really does want me to just be with him, um, he actually gave me a couple answers, which was great. You know, Ron shared this morning, only after we obey, then comes the promise. So then he goes, I think, and this is what I think he said, I'm secretly hoping I didn't hear correctly, but I felt like he said, I'm going to give you a job, but eventually you're going to go into some sort of ministry or missions or something. Great. Talk about going out of your comfort zone. I'm hoping that's like years and years away, but we'll see. So, um, and after that came the, the, the rest of the promise, which was a new job. I left Sprint last March. I just started a new job just a couple months ago, this past March, so like a year. So um, that was quite a process. But it turned out to be a job better than I could have ever imagined. And I know Lisa has a couple of things she wants to share on, on that perspective as well. Well, I think um, just so many things that God taught me specifically um, throughout the course of this year. But I, I think the thing that I hold on to is that um, the adventure is in the process and not in the product. And I am such a product-oriented person. I'm a checklister. I'm a, you know, goals, um, a plan, and all of that. And I really, we, we would have missed the adventure and actually not been prepared for this adventure um, if we hadn't gone through that. And so um, just this morning's message was so much our testimony of, um, <clears throat> you know, connect. It really is connect with God. <clears throat> and, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that, that people are not just hearing about the plans that cost money because that's, that's if you do that, you just miss the whole process. And God's so about um, your heart and your process. So... And, and to tag onto that and just really kind of bring it home is it's okay not to have the answers as long as we're listening, right? And we're praying for that amount and that process, and we're not sure when we're going to get to that, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be before this journey is over because God is faithful. And, um, you know, a final thought on this whole thing is the journey that he took us on this last year was definitely not easy, as you can maybe imagine. Maybe you can but first of all, people thought I was crazy because I was leaving a, a very good-paying job in an unstable economy. Um, the severance package, which was great, ran out, and then we still didn't have a job. 
you know, and they cause some stress in our marriage. I mean, nothing earth-shattering, but, you know, we're, we're wired. Men are wired to be able to provide for their family. When they can't do that, it just kind of throws the whole thing into imbalance. So, um, but God was faithful, and he proved that we can trust him. And that's not the first time that he's done that. So um, our prayer and our hope is that um, not only will we get to enjoy the, the benefit of that, because I know we will, he'll be faithful at the end of this journey, this stage of the journey, but that the rest of us, you know, it could, could connect with him in, in, that, in that sort of way and, and get the promise and the, uh, the benefit of that as well. So there you have it. Is the band going to close us out? Or <laughs> There you go. Thank you.